if we look to the answer as to why for so many years we achieved so much, prospered as no other people on earth, it was because here in this land we unleashed the energy and individual genius of man to a greater extent than has ever been done before. Those who say that we're in a time when there are no heroes, they just don't know where to look. The sloping hills of Arlington National Cemetery, with its row upon row of simple white markers, bearing crosses or stars of David, they add up to only a tiny fraction of the price that has been paid for our freedom. As for the enemies of freedom, those who are potential adversaries, they will be reminded that peace is the highest aspiration of the American people. We will negotiate for it, sacrifice for it. We will not surrender for it now or ever. We are Americans. France Authority on AM 1420. The answer. It is indeed the day at eight minutes past 10 o'clock on this Thursday, the 25th morning of the seventh month of the year of our Lord, 2019. Hope you're having a great day. The president had a great day yesterday. I think uh, the rule of law had a pretty good day yesterday. I think conservatives had a pretty good day yesterday. I think Bob Mueller had a really, really bad day yesterday. And moreover, because Bob Mueller had a bad day, so did Democrats. They thought he would provide more than the report did about President Trump's alleged illegal activities. Bob Mueller provided no such thing. There was no bombshell. There was a whole lot of obfuscation. There was a whole lot of delaying and stalling. And quite frankly, a whole lot of confusion. Joining us now to analyze that and much more is our friend Dr. Everett Piper. Dr. Piper of course, is our regular Thursday guest. He is a best-selling author uh, of Not a Daycare. Really, you have you have not read yet uh, read that book yet. You don't know what you're missing out on. You got to read uh, Not a Daycare. Uh, but Dr. Piper is also a Washington Times columnist, former president of Oklahoma Wesleyan University, and he is a nationally sought uh, public speaker as well. Dr. Piper, good to have you back. How are you, sir? I'm doing great, Bob. Thanks for having me on. Dr. Piper, I know your uh, specialties are religious liberty and academic freedom, and we always talk about those things, and will in a moment, but I'm just going to ask you to weigh in on presidential politics for a moment. Uh, I don't know how much of the uh, entire episode you watched yesterday. I doubt very many people watched all, what, seven or eight hours of it, but uh, based on what you saw, uh, what were you able to glean from the testimony of Robert Mueller as it pertains to uh, the uh, case against Donald Trump? Well, I don't know how much more I have to add to what you've already said, Bob, but I, let me just say this. We watched seven or eight hours of what happens when you don't have leadership. A vacuum is always filled, and a vacuum of leadership will be filled by something. It'll be filled by anarchy. It'll be filled by advers- adversity. It will be filled by confusion. It will be filled. Vacuums are always filled, and when you don't have strong leadership that's clear, that is confident, that is courageous, that has a message and has a mission and is going in a given direction, you get total confusion. And Bob Mueller demonstrated that he's not a leader. I don't know why. Some people have speculated various different things as to why he was so confused yesterday, but it was very clear he is not leading this process. Those under him 
uh, the dark state, if you will, those never-Trumpers, those that have an axe to grind, are the ones that were leading this process, and therefore Mueller sat there totally confused, demonstrating over and over again in his inability to answer questions that he was not the leader of what was going on, and therefore this vacuum of leadership was being filled by something very ugly. Yeah, he was a figurehead. They appointed him because his name had a sparkling reputation. Everybody likes Bob Mueller. Nobody would com- uh, uh, would uh, would dare condemn him as being a partisan, etc. Despite his best friendship with um, uh, with James Comey, who was fired by the president, he was the face of this whole thing because they thought they could get away with what uh, you just described, allowing some of the those with axes to grind against the president, those who were Clinton loyalists, those who were big time uh, liberals. Uh, they ran the investigation of Donald Trump, and they put. Robert Mueller's stamp on the front of it so that nobody could condemn it. And unfortunately for them, it did not work. Um, Dr. Piper, let's dive into a couple of things now. Going to your work in the Washington Times, uh, Times rather, and let's talk about a cultural crisis. This is the latest thing that you've written about, and I want to talk about pride versus humility, because we all know that we're just coming off of uh, 30 days of pride. Uh, I don't know who declared June to be Pride Month, if that was declared a national month holiday or what it is, but uh, it was uh, wildly celebrated by many. And uh, you make a very interesting point and an argument I'd like you to make for us here about what true freedom is. And it's not about pride. It's about the opposite of pride, right? Absolutely. I was actually invited to speak at a humility rally here in Bartlesville, Oklahoma, and it was a response to this national worship of pride. And when did we as a culture start thinking that one of the seven deadly sins, the foremost, if you will, of the seven deadly sins, if you listen to Lewis, who said pride is the ultimate anti-God state of mind, if pride is one of the foremost, if not the leading sin of the seven deadly sins, why are we celebrating it for an entire month in our culture. And I would argue it's because we have a cultural crisis. We have a cultural crisis, a crisis of identity, a crisis of common sense, a crisis where we have lost the ability to teach and preach and espouse sense that is common. And we talk about today that we are a tolerant culture, but yet we hear these cultural high priests say that they can't tolerate our intolerance and that they hate hateful people. They're sure that nothing is sure. They're absolutely confident. There are no absolutes. In other words, it's like watching a dog (laughs) chase its tail. These people will elevate pride and then condemn those that are humble. Again, they've got these arguments that are self-refuting. They saw the rhetorical branch upon which they said every time they open their mouth. So I argued in my column two weeks ago in the Washington Times that the solution to this nonsense is to start teaching the classical laws that make sense and to return to the classical liberal argument. Now, why do I say that? It's because classical liberals... You wrote a book about this, right? You wrote a book, your your previous book, prior to uh, Not a Daycare, Why I'm a Liberal and Other Conservative Ideas. This is exactly what you were talking about. Absolutely. I'm going back and saying, because I'm a conservative and I believe in conserving the time-tested truths that have given us liberty, I'm a conservationist. I believe in protecting the environment and preserving an owl or a tree or a whale once in a while, but I also believe in conserving those truths that have given us the context for the greatest measure of human freedom ever in human history. Those self-evident truths that are endowed to us by our Creator. Classical liberals believed in those truths, and they understood what Chesterton said when he said, when you get rid of the big laws of God, you don't get liberty, you get 
lots of little laws that rush in to fill the vacuum. So the solution to this nonsense is to start teaching the laws that make sense. And freedom is found in the self-evident endowed truths given us to our by our Creator, not in the self-centeredness that is represented in waving the rainbow banner of pride. Freedom is found in a humble heart, not a callous, arrogant human heart. The solution today to today's intersectional nonsense is to return to teaching the laws that make sense. And one of those laws is this. Pride always goes hand in glove with power. Pride always leads to selfishness and control. Pride screams, I know best, and you will submit. Pride imitates God inordinately. This is from Aquinas. This is a great quote. Pride imitates God inordinately, for it makes ourselves equal to God and usurps dominion over our fellow creatures. Pride is the complete anti-God state of mind, C.S. Lewis. Wow, very, very well uh, uh, argued. We're talking to Dr. Everett Piper. Uh, I want to go to your your uh, one of your other columns, and I can't wait. Was this? I think thought this one was last week. Um, I want to read uh, just a short piece of some of the responses that you get to your columns in the Washington Times, as you put in this uh, in this uh, in this particular column. You're an idiot. You are a hateful crank. You're an embarrassment to our community. You're arrogant. You always think that you're right. The real enemy of truth is people like you who want to impose your truth on the rest of us. You used some of those hate comments that you received for writing your column for the Washington Times to prove a point about those who write them. Tell us about it. <laughs> All right. So you you probably get this stuff too, Bob. I don't. Know, I do I all, I, all the time, all the time, and worse, quite frankly, and worse. Unless <laughs> unless uh, most of the ones I get include profanity. So maybe unless you edited yeah. that out for the sake of your column, uh, I believe me, I'm I'm there with you. I, I get it. It's like uh, anytime I'm I'm confronted by someone who can't put a sentence together without the f bomb. I immediately discount it because they have no intellectual integrity and they don't have a vocabulary. If you have to use the F-bomb to insult me, then you don't have a good argument to refute me. So let's move beyond that and talk about the logic behind or the lack of logic behind their criticisms. So you're arrogant. The problem with you conservatives is you're arrogant. You always think you're right. My question to that person is, well, do you think you're right in condemning everyone else who thinks they're right? The answer they have to give is, well, yes, I'm right in condemning you for thinking you're right. Well, you just put yourself in the very target that you're shooting at. Don't you understand, like I said earlier, you are like a a dog chasing its tail. You're making no sense. It would be humorous if it weren't so sad. You can't make an argument without putting yourself in the very category that you're condemning because you're suggesting that those who think they're right are arrogant, but yet you're suggesting and demanding that you're right in condemning me for being right. This makes no sense, and it's so easy to knock these arguments down. You just tip one over and the dominoes will begin to fall. Another thing I challenge these people on, you say that you worship tolerance. You think tolerance is the highest virtue. Well, can you tolerate me? And the answer is clearly no. They can't tolerate me. So tolerance isn't your highest good. It isn't your summum bonum, to go back to freshman uh, philosophy 101. Your highest good is power, because you want to suppress those and oppress those that disagree with you because you find them intolerable so stop preaching to me about tolerance i must i might i might have mentioned this on your program earlier bob but i was on the o'reilly factor once and we got into the issue of tolerance and i responded to mr o'reilly and i said on your anniversary did you send your wife and i tolerate you car and there was silence <laughs> that's, and the that's... reason there was 
Go ahead. The reason there was silence is, is, is obvious, because tolerance is an insult. Tolerance says, I don't love you, I don't even like you, I'll tolerate you, do what you want. But Christian charity, i.e. love, says, I care deeply about you, now stop. Love is a superior virtue, tolerance is an inferior virtue, so don't tell me that you're a champion of love while you spew vindictive, hateful rhetoric at those you disagree with. That's not loving. It is not even tolerant. It's hateful, and it is self-refuting. Dr. Everett Piper is my guest. Doctor, we'll take a quick time out here. I want to come back and talk about something else, losing my religion for equality. You recently tweeted an old, and I'm talking 10-year-old, article by former President Jimmy Carter about losing religion relevant today and i want to talk about that with you as we continue dr everett piper right here on am 1420 the answer back after this whkradio.com is where to find the bob france authority podcast All right, 1025, I've got five good minutes left with my friend, Dr. Everett Piper, who is a best-selling author of Not a Daycare. He is also a Washington Times columnist, and he is a uh, profound tweeter from time to time, especially when he finds things of interest. Uh, this was terrific, Dr. Piper. Um, you, you wrote, or excuse me, you uh, tweeted a link with a great comment uh, to an article by Jimmy Carter that he wrote way back in 2009, so 10 years ago, Losing My Religion for Equality. And I'll let you give us a summary. All right, so 10 years ago, Jimmy Carter said he was leaving the Southern Baptist Convention because he felt that the Baptists were becoming um, too exclusive. They weren't standing for equality, and he specifically cited some of their uh, positions on women in ministry within the Church. So he said, I'm leaving the Southern Baptist Convention because the Southern Baptist Convention, and Baptists in particular, don't don't defend the dignity and the equality of women. Now, interesting. What a lack of self-awareness. This was 10 years ago, and today, Jimmy Carter and his political party continue to wave a banner over, I would argue, one of the greatest degradations of the dignity of women in the history of our country. How in the world can you claim to stand for the equality of women if you now align yourself with an agenda that demands that you buy, bow at the altar of LGBTQ, which says women aren't real? They're not even a biological fact. They're a social construct. They're a product of social and sexual politics. But the biological fact of the female is no longer anything that we're going to recognize and that the fabrication and the fantasy of someone who wants to pretend to be a female will trump a woman's sport, a woman's shower, the right to a woman to have her own bathroom, the right that women have to, to, to defend their own dignity and identity. So the irony is, is that Jimmy Carter, 10 years ago, said, I'm leaving the Southern Baptist Convention because it doesn't defend women, and now he aligns himself with a party that denies that women are even real. 
I don't understand. You're 100% right, by the way. Obviously, great uh, catch and a great great way to make an article from 10 years ago relevant today. I don't understand how that party that Jimmy Carter represents, as you point out, uh, can possibly justify uh, uh, themselves to feminists. And I don't understand how feminists can possibly support the same party because feminists are always looking out for women's rights, sometimes uh, a little bit further than they should because they do trample on the rights of others in the process. They demonize men. They demonize masculinity and other things as well. But But you're right. Uh, here they are. Uh, the Democrat Party is is buying into the LGBTQ uh, agenda slash uh, narrative slash uh, you know uh, mafia, and a lot of people call it that. Sometimes I do as well because they force themselves uh, on uh, on you know various individuals and various entities, uh, literally through force. I don't understand how feminists aren't looking out for the rights of women. I don't understand how women's groups, the National Organization of Women, are associated with Democrats when the Democrat Party is indeed taking steps step after step that literally uh, interferes with their rights. Well, this is where I think the conservative view, the classical liberal view, if you will, can Uh win at the end of the day. We can win at the end of the day because we are defending liberty and freedom for women. Because you can't be a feminist if you deny the feminine. You can't be a feminist if you pretend that females are not a fact. It is a self-refuting claim, again, to pretend that you are a feminist if you are then going to turn around and tell a female she can't have her own shower, her own bathroom, her own sport, her own scholarship, that she can't even be recognized for as a biological fact within culture any longer. That is misogyny. That is not feminist. That is not feminism. And therefore, the classical liberal approach of going back to the time-tested truths that give us liberty and freedom is a winning argument, because that is truly, classically feminist. It's not politically correct ideology that actually leaves females out hanging to the misogyny of dysphoric and delusional males. You know what's um, what's amazing is everything that you just said and all of the questions that you raise. I have never heard any of them address. I think they run hiding and screaming when brought up uh, when their contradictions and their hypocrisy is brought up that they uh, support this party because this is the party of inclusion and yes, this is the party that uh, takes care of women and triumphs and champions women. But they run screaming if you ever bring up these very very important points, and that's why we're doing it. Uh, Doctor Everett Piper, thank you so much. Great job as always, sir. Have a wonderful week, and we'll talk to you again very soon. Blessings, Bob. 10.30, time for news on AM 1420, The Answer. Live, the Bob France Authority continues. We are guest-free for the last 25 minutes of the broadcast, so let's make those 25 minutes outstanding and awesome. Dial us up, 216-901-0945, More on the Mueller hearings yesterday. Bob Mueller faced the wrath of uh, a lot of angry Republicans uh, who wanted their, their answers. You know, it's funny, The generally speaking, the uh, uh, Democrats, rather, uh, wanted Bob Mueller to speak because they felt like he would be able to provide more fire and 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 brimstone than the actual written report did. They thought they could get him to embellish on it and maybe say things a little bit more strongly than he did in the report, thereby giving them something to perhaps accuse the president of obstruction over. Republicans generally did not really want to hear from him anymore because this is over. 
The report said no collusion and no evidence of obstruction, even though it also said no evidence that there wasn't obstruction, which, of course, is a ridiculous point. The bottom line is Republicans say, let's move on, we're done. But since the Democrats insisted on dragging him uh, to the, uh, to the uh, uh, hearings, uh, Republicans said, fine, we're going to do what we got to do, including stripping the bark off of him. And that is exactly what they did. Jim Jordan pointed out the absolute incompetence of the special prosecutor himself uh, by, and pointed out his bias. Every time somebody gave a false statement to his committee and his commission, uh, he charged them with crimes. Except for the one individual, as Jim Jordan pointed out very clearly, who started this entire thing. When he was caught lying to the uh, uh, commission three or the committee three times, or this uh, investigative committee, I guess we'll call it, three times, no, no crimes whatsoever. In fact, he made a point, did Bob Mueller, of not uh, pursuing anybody for any criminal acts, potential criminal acts or otherwise, that was associated with Hillary Clinton, Barack Obama, or the last administration. Yet everybody who has ever even talked to Donald Trump for five seconds um, was going to be in trouble if there was uh, so even on things having nothing to do with this investigation. Crimes involving taxes from previous years and all kinds of other things. Uh, that's why Jim Jordan summarized the entire event this way after the fact um, to the assembled media yesterday. The leader and, and my colleagues are exactly right. It's time to move on. Understand where we're at. Three years ago next week is when the Trump-Russia investigation began. And um, the FBI investigated for 10 months. Understand the big picture. The, the president's falsely accused. The FBI investigated for 10 months. They find nothing. We know that because we deposed Jim Comey and he told us that. And then Bob Mueller takes over in May of 2017 and he investigates it for 22 months. So here we are now, three years later, and Bob Mueller found no collusion, no conspiracy, no coordination. It is definitely time to move on. The second thing I would say is the investigation that matters, and I said this in today's hearing, well, actually the two investigations that matter most now, the one Mr. Horowitz is going to have completed here in a couple months, and, of course, the one that the Attorney General has tasked John Durham, U.S. Attorney, to do, which is to look into how this whole three-year saga began that our country has now lived through for these for these three years. So those are the things that matter, and I look forward to hearing from that. But let's stop the continuous investigation into something that's already we've already spent three years on, and let's focus on those issues that really matter to the American people. And that is something the Democrats, of course, will not do. They cannot let this go. They have hung their hats on it. All of their eggs are in this basket. Pick your metaphor. But that is exactly what has happened here. Now, I want to go back if I can for a moment, and play a little bit more of, of uh, uh, J- Representative John Ratcliffe yesterday, because this was as big, this was as large as anything. Uh, Jim B- Jordan, well, you know what, actually, real quick, this is Representative Debbie Lesko, short one here. Debbie Lesko talking about summer, a summary after the Democrats tried to, you know, walk off, you know, hit a walk-off home run here with the uh, statements of... of um, Attorney General, or excuse me, Attorney General, Special Prosecutor Robert Mueller, that he did not exonerate the President of the United States. That's how they wanted it to end. You did not exonerate him. And that is exactly what he said. No, we did not. This is Debbie Lesko responding to that in the only proper way to do so, by, by clearing this up. There's been a lot of talk today about firing the special counsel and curtailing the investigation. Were you ever fired, Mr. Mueller, from the special... Were you ever fired as special counsel, Mr. Mueller? No. No. 
Were you, were you allowed to complete your investigation unencumbered? Yes. That's it. That's it. That's it. Walk off now, Democrats. Were you allowed to complete your investigation unencumbered? Yes. That means you were not obstructed with. Don't talk to me about attempted obstruction. Don't talk about things that might have been done. Talk to me about things you have evidence for. Talk to me about things that you can prove that there was obstruction. And you just admitted you were allowed to con- uh, to uh, complete your work unencumbered. That's your walk-off shot. Now, I do want to get to the Ratcliffe part, too, because this is very important. Representative Ratcliffe yesterday really got to the heart of the matter as it pertains to the exoneration part of this. We didn't exonerate the president because there were things we couldn't prove that he didn't do. Never in the history of jurisprudence, never in the history of the criminal justice system, has ever a prosecutor set out to prove the innocence of a suspect that they're investigating. Never. It is not the job of a prosecutor to see and prove that this person is innocent. It's the job of the prosecutor to determine whether or not they have enough evidence that this person is guilty. And if they don't have enough evidence that this person is guilty, by default, by definition, that person is exonerated, cleared of all crimes. No charges against them. You're exonerated. It's the very definition of the word, as Representative John Ratcliffe pointed out. Volume 2 reads as follows. The evidence we obtained about the president's actions and intent presents difficult issues that prevent us from conclusively determining that no criminal conduct occurred. Accordingly, while this report does not conclude that the president committed a crime, it also does not exonerate him. Now, uh, I read that correctly? Yes. All right. Now, your report, and today you said that all times the special counsel team operated under, was guided by, and followed Justice Department policies and principles. So. Which DOJ policy or principle sets forth a legal standard that an investigated person is not exonerated if their innocence from criminal conduct is not concluded? Standard that an investigated person is not exonerated if their innocence from criminal conduct is not conclusively determined. Where does that language come from, Director? Where is the DOJ policy that says that? Can you, let me make it easier. Can you give me an example other than Donald Trump where the Justice Department determined that an investigated person was not exonerated because I, their I, innocence was not conclusively determined? I, I, I cannot, but this is a unique Okay, situation. well, I, you can't. Time is short. I've got five minutes. Let's just leave it at you can't find it because I'll tell you why. It doesn't exist. The special counsel's job, nowhere does it say that you were to conclusively determine Donald Trump's innocence or that the special counsel report should determine whether or not to exonerate him. It's not in any of the documents. It's not in your appointment order. It's not in the special counsel regulations. It's not in the OLC opinions. It's not in the justice manual. And it's not in the principles of federal prosecution. Nowhere do those words appear together because respectfully, respectfully, Director, it was not the special counsel's job to conclusively determine Donald Trump's innocence or to exonerate him. Because the bedrock principle of our justice system is a presumption of innocence. It exists for everyone. Everyone is entitled to it, including sitting presidents. And because there is a presumption of innocence, prosecutors never, ever need to conclusively determine it. 
Now, Director, the special... I'll stop it there so I can get you some phone calls, but do you understand the importance of what you just heard? Every word of that is clear in criminal law. It is never the prosecutor's job to try to prove the innocence of a defendant or a suspect. Never. It is their job to find evidence of their guilt, and if there is none, then there are no charges, and exoneration is the end result. That's it. That Mueller report, if Bob Mueller had written it, I kind of believe would have said the president is cleared of charges because we could not find evidence that he did anything. But because I believe it was written by Andrew Weissman, the corrupt uh, uh, attorney who has been sanctioned, who has who spent election night with the Clintons, his friends, and then just a few weeks later is appointed to serve on the investigative team that is going to try to take down the man that took the election from his friend Hillary Clinton. Simply inconceivable. I cannot tell you how important that Radcliffe testimony was. He exploited it and exposed it for, for all to see. And yes, that would include anybody who might be considering voting on impeachment. Brooke Park, Ron, you're on AM 1420, The Answer. Hi, Ron, go ahead. Uh, good morning, Bob. You know, Bob, everything in life basically is simple, all right? It, it, it's either right or wrong, it's up or down, in or out, whatever analogy you want to use, okay? It's people that complicate things, all right? Basically, all Mueller had to do yesterday was walk in and say, gentlemen, look, I shown you my report there is no there there i'm sorry to the democratic party that i can't produce the results you was hoping for but they're just not there there is no smoking gun there is nothing to say that you know our president committed any crimes of any kind or there was any collusion in fact there's evidence that he didn't so with that i bid you i'm going to do a paul harvey good day and he should have just got up and walked out that would have taken less than five minutes. And yet they turned it into a six- or seven-hour menagerie over a bunch of nonsense. You know, everybody got a lot of face time, the Democrats and the Republicans, over something that, that there is no there there. And that we most Americans have known that for, if not years, at least for months. And it could have been that simple. But they drug it out, and they made it look like a legal proceeding, and the whereas, and the therefores, and all this crazy nonsense. That, that politicians and lawyers love to do when all he simply had to say was, hey, look, we did an investigation. Sorry it didn't work out the way you wanted it to, uh, Democrats, but that's the way the cookie crumbles, and I'm out of here. And that's what he should have did. And why well, he didn't if, do it, I don't know. If he had, Well, if he had the integrity that everybody claimed he had when he was appointed, then he would. But I mean, he doesn't. And he doesn't. I mean, I don't think we can overstate the importance of his friendship with James Comey. And that's why I can't remember which of them made him say it, because they quoted, was it, it might have been Nunez, but I can't swear to it. But but he specifically was quoting James Comey, who said that, if I am ever on the railroad tracks and the train is bearing down, at least I know that Bob Mueller will be there with me. He made several statements uh, from Comey, or quoted several statements from Comey, that are in writing, in which he talked about how Bob Mueller will always have his back. Forcing Mueller to say that they were friends. He first said, you're, you're really good friends with Bob Mueller, right? And he said, well, we were associates. We came yeah, up we're associates. The, yeah. We came up we through the ranks together. together. He said, you're yeah. friends, right? And he forced them to finally say, yes, we're friends. I think, Ron, 
that friendship carries more weight than his own personal integrity. He wanted to give James Comey what James Comey wanted here. James Comey wanted payback at Donald Trump for firing him. And James Comey was uh, Comey. He uh, uh, is the one who forced this special counsel to be import, uh, appointed in the first place, as we all know, because he leaked those uh, those uh, documents um, to uh, uh, to his friend at the New York Times. I think it was the New York Times, right? Uh, yeah, and, I think and it he, was. And he admitted afterwards the reason was is he wanted the public to see that to see this because it would be the only way to force a special prosecutor to be appointed by the DOJ. But you know something, Bob? No matter how much you may <laughs> love your friend, no matter how much you may even love your wife. Again, if there is no there, there, there is just nothing you can do about it. I mean, it's called case closed, you know, game over. Again, whatever analogy you want to use. And that's all he had to say was, I tried. We spent $25 million. I tried for two years, and there is no there, there. You can bring me back 500 times if you want to and waste the taxpayers' money and put us all on TV again, and nothing is going to change the outcome. There is nothing there for you people to see. And again, with that, I would have stood up and said, adios. And with yeah, that, well, I'll leave you, my friend. Take and care. I appreciate that, Ron. Thank you. And you know what? I hope uh, I hope you and I remain friends because your loyalty is, uh, is very important to me. Clearly, um, Mueller's personal integrity is, is, is not as important to him as his friendship with Comey. And I mean that very literally. James Comey was complicit in the entire thing getting started, getting Mueller, his friend and predecessor as director of the FBI, uh, appointed as that special counsel, and he told Bob Mueller, get him. And Bob Mueller said, I will. And Bob Mueller said, well, quite frankly, I can't, but I will let the real true... uh Weissman, which is simply an embarrassing, shameful thing in and of itself, especially because Weissman was complicit in the Russia hoax, for crying out loud. All of that has been proven as well. But he said, I'll get somebody to get him for you. And when they couldn't get him on anything concrete, well, you saw the result. Mueller said, okay, I can't convict him, but I also can't exonerate him. Therefore, you can draw your own conclusions as to what you believe. It's, uh, it's shameful. 1050, uh, one more phone call here before the top, or excuse me, before the timeout, rather. TJ in Cleveland. Go ahead, TJ. Yeah, you know, Bob, when I watched Mueller, it made me think of Judge Judy, you know, when she'd have these defendants in front of her that stumble, bumble, dance. And what does she tell them? If you tell the truth, you don't need a good memory. And that's pretty much, I think, what was happening with Mueller. He's trying to think of what's the next question is going to be. How can I spin this? And all these people that feel sorry for him and think he's such an honorable man, I agree with you, Bob. It's a bunch of bull. You know, just because the man served in combat doesn't make him honorable. Let's look back at Tim McVeigh. He was a decorated war veteran. Was he an honorable man? Absolutely not. Uh, But if they want to feel sorry for somebody, and I say if you want pity for a combat vet that got screwed, who is an honorable man, save your pity for General Flynn, because he's Very the one that got screwed over by these Yes, people. he did. Yes, he absolutely did. That's a great point. That's a great point. If you really want to look at a hero in uniform who's got involved in this in some way, that is the guy. It is certainly not Bob Mueller. Thank you, my friend. I appreciate it. Let me get a quick time out. Final one. We'll try to squeeze in a couple more phone calls on the other side before the top of the hour, and Mike Gallagher takes you uh, right here at AM 1420, The Answer. Now heard through downtown, through Greater Cleveland, on 102.5 FM. It's the Bob France Authority.
All right, 1054, final segment of the broadcast. I want to share this with you, if I can, or at least in part. I probably can't get you the entire thing right now, but there was a really good summary, I think, of the um, disaster yesterday for the Democrats uh, written in The Federalist, and I just want to uh, kind of share part of this for you um, uh, in, in, for two reasons. Number one, to point out what folly it was for the Democrats to do this, and number two, to point out the fact that they still won't have learned their lesson. Robert Mueller's testimony, a complete disaster for Democrats. David Harsanyi and uh, the Federalist. If Democrats believed that Mueller would provide them with additional ammunition for an impeachment inquiry, they made an extraordinary miscalculation. Not only was Mueller often flustered and unprepared to talk about his own report, we now have to wonder to what extent he was even involved in the day-to-day work of the investigation. Isn't this what I've been saying all day? But he was needlessly evasive. In the end, he was seri- he seriously undermined the central case for impeachment of President Donald Trump. The often distracted Mueller didn't seem to know much about anything. The very first Republican to question him, House Judiciary Committee Ranking Member Representative Doug Collins, forced Mueller to correct his own opening statement. In it, the former FBI director had asserted that the independent counsel, quote, did not address collusion, which is not a legal term, stressing the difference between the criminal conspiracy and the colloquial collusion is a popular way of obscuring the fact that the central conspiracy pushed by Democrats, one that plunged the nation into two years of hysterics and fantasy, had been debunked by Mueller. Moreover, as Collins pointed out, Mueller's own report stated that, quote, collusion and, quote, criminal conspiracy were basically synonymous. Collusion is largely synonymous with conspiracy as that crime is set forth in the general federal conspiracy statute, Mueller's report states on page 180 of the second volume. When asked to explain this contradiction, excuse me, when asked to explain this contradiction, Mueller stammered on for a few minutes before saying he would, quote, leave it with the report. Collins pointed out that, yes, the report stated the terms collusion and conspiracy were synonymous. Mueller was forced to admit Yes. It didn't get better from there. Mueller didn't know where some of the most infamous quotes in his own report had emanated. For example, Donald Trump's quote, This is the end of my presidency. I'm blanked! Exclamation upon learning about the appointment of a special counsel. He claimed to be unfamiliar with Fusion GPS and Christopher Steele, the Clinton and DNC-funded contractors who originated and then propelled the entire Trump-Russian collusion conspiracy theory. Perhaps Mueller's ignorance shouldn't be surprising, since his independent general counsel, or independent counsel rather, apparently expended zero effort into ascertaining the reliability of the evidence that helped launch the investigation. And though there was nothing to stop him, Mueller refused to talk about a number of inconvenient aspects about his own report. He declined, for instance, to testify about the letter he sent to Bill Barr, intrinsically connected to the veracity of the report. He refused to talk about Joseph Mifsud, the supposed impetus for his own investigation. He refused to discuss the Steele dossier, which not only turned out to be the most effective tool of Russian interference in the 2016 election, on behalf of the Clintons, but was used in multiple FISA applications targeting at least one individual. In the end, even Russian election interference, the ostensible purpose of the entire project, was outside Mueller's expertise. When Representative Greg Stube asked him if there was any evidence that a single American had changed their vote because of Russian meddling, the answer, incidentally, is no. Mueller responded that it was beyond his purview. 
By making Mueller look more like a figurehead unfamiliar with his own report, Republicans were able to highlight the bias and conflict of interest that plagued an investigation that was not only initiated by a Democratic administration spying on a Republican opposition during an election year, but led by prosecutors who had relationships with the opposition Democrats. It's a huge statement. David Arsani at The Federalist. I'll tweet this, I'll parlor this, and I will Facebook post this. Make sure you read this and make sure you share this, because there has not been, to my knowledge, a better writing, more comprehensive writing, covering the news of the day yesterday. All right, that's all the time that I've got. As I said, uh, Michael Gallagher is coming up next. He'll take you to Prager. That'll take you to Gorka. Stay right here on AM 1420, The Answer. Bye-bye. Silence. 